Hey everyone, this is Ada. Before we get to our new episode, if you're actually listening to this on November 5th on Saturday morning, which of course you all are, we wanted to let you know that this is the week of the San Diego Asian Film Festival. So if you're nearby, check out the films that Brian has been so diligently planning as the artistic director. And I'll actually be there on Sunday, November 6th at 3pm for a panel called Randall Park Shorts, which, if you're a regular listener, is basically going to be like episode one of Saturday School. But Randall Park will actually be there to tell us about the short films that he made back in the day. It's going to be fun. Go to festival.sdaff.org for more information. And one more quick announcement. Saturday School is proud to be a founding member of Potluck, an Asian-American podcast collective, and we're having an official launch party in downtown LA on Wednesday, November 9th. If you want to come, just Google Potluck Asian-American Podcast Collective Launch Party to find the Facebook event. We'd love to meet you. Or even if you can't make it, check out our website, podcastpotluck.com, to see the other excellent shows in our lineup. From Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, to Collabcast, Asian Americana, and much, much more. All right, now here's today's episode. I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Welcome back to Saturday School. For this episode, we're talking about a special film called Chutney Popcorn from 1999 that was written and directed and starring Nisha Ganatra. Some of you might recognize her name because she's a producer on Transparent Now. This movie revolves around a family with two Indian American sisters. Nisha plays the younger sister who's a lesbian and always feels like a disappointment to her mother. Hey mom, look! And her older sister, Sakina Joffrey, is a sister who's married and doing everything she's supposed to do. But um, while she's trying to have a family of her own, she discovers that she can't have a baby. So Rina, the younger sister, suggests that maybe she'll be the surrogate mother for her sister and her brother-in-law. Was she serious? You're talking about Rina, my flaky sister who thinks she's an artist. So that's kind of the setup of the hijinks that... Is it hijinks? Very serious hijinks. There are definitely some hijinks in there. Yeah. It's really fun looking back at this movie if you recognize the actors. Like, the mother is actually played by Madur Joffrey. So it's like a real mother-daughter acting duo. Jill Hennessy. Yeah. Jill Hennessy of Crossing Jordan fame plays Lisa, who is Rena's girlfriend. So Lisa's like, uh, so you want to have... A baby with your sister's husband? Hey, you were just yelling at me about being selfish. Well, yeah, I mean, like, don't drink the last sip of soda in the fridge. Replace the ice trays once in a while, not have a baby for your sister. Part of the drama comes from the fact that, like, her sense of her relationship is being infiltrated by demands of the family that either she doesn't care about or that she doesn't quite understand. Not a small thing where you and your girlfriend are in love and have never ever talked about having a family, but suddenly your girlfriend is going to have her sister's baby. I think it's also playing around with her notions of what her life would be like as a lesbian during that time. Like what it means to be parents and maybe more importantly, what it means to not have to be parents, to not have to go that cookie cutter route of, you know, get married, have kids and have that be your life. 
she has this community of lesbian girlfriends who are very proud of their identities, you know, and their identities don't necessarily fit into this box. You're just being used to perpetuate the heterosexual family model. It's not just the girlfriend who has reservations. I think everybody has reservations, understandably. The older sister herself has reservations. And then the mother, who's just sort of like, what is going on? You call Rina and you tell her to stop this nonsense. So it's understandable why everyone's just so stunned by this proposition, which is a very generous and loving proposition, and nobody knows what to do with it. And Rena's just going to figure it out for herself. That's why it's such a heartwarming film that she does figure it out. Yeah, I really love how the film kind of takes its time setting up all the relationships and letting the viewer also stop and think about this. You know what I mean? It's not just like decision, decision, decision. This is what's happening. As a viewer, you're along for the ride in what feels like real time. You're like, okay, so how is this going to affect this person? How is it going to affect this person? And it's very intricately written, I think. Yeah, because it needs to be because these are all very strange possible relationships they're entering into as a result of these decisions. It's a film that's very generous to all of its characters that way. Yeah, that's what I really admired about this film, especially being from 1999. It's almost 20 years ago, you know? This is probably a time where there were a lot of identity films. And this film plays with identity, but it's almost just like a quick premise, and then it goes into something way more complex and way more interesting. It fits in terms of genre to a lot of what was going on in in identity films at the time. But never was her Indianness something that she was grappling with. It was yeah. really her sense of what it means to be a sister. And what it Even though like many of the tropes of the identity film in there, like the intergenerational conflicts, certain kind of ethnic elements like the weddings and things like that. But as you're watching it, you don't feel that at all. It's, it's just an amazing film about family and reconfiguring what a family can be. There's so many small moments that are just really sweet, like unexpectedly sweet in the middle of these other scenes. If we talk about hijinks, the, the scenes where the girlfriend has to inseminate Rena with the brother-in-law's semen is yeah. They do it with a turkey baster. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine that. Do I have to touch it? Rena and Lisa are exactly healthcare professionals. But even that scene is sweet. <laughs> it is really because sweet, it's, yeah. It's about like how two people in bed are trying to be there for the other person. Yeah. Like, I, I want to do this for you. And it's also funny. Yeah, it's a visual gag. It's great. <laughs> there, there were actually some really good visual gags. I think my favorite is there's this edit in the movie where the, the brother-in-law is getting ready to masturbate into a cup and it cuts to coffee being stirred. It's not clearly like a double entendre or that it's being filthy about it, but it's just things like that that showed like what a fun director Nisha Ganatra was. Yeah. She saw this as an opportunity to do great comedy. Yeah. So I was thinking about this while watching this movie. I've never quite thought about it this way before, but I think also doing this podcast and watching so many other films, thinking about how many films we've seen in Asian American cinema that are about unconventional families. I'm not just talking about like multiracial couples, like mom, I need to date a white girl. And I'm not even talking about same-sex relationships, which you see in a lot of movies, but like a lot of movies where it's like unusual situations of parents and kids. Catfish and Black Bean Sauce has a three-parent situation. The wedding banquet ends on a three-parents situation. And Wayne Wang's Eat a Bowl of Tea. When this episode comes out, we will be showing it at the San Diego Asian Film Festival, which also is like this unusual way of thinking about proper parentage. And this movie, Chutney Popcorn, is like that too. So I don't know. Do you feel like that's something that we've seen a lot? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe it's just sort of an offshoot of the general theme of mixing tradition and modernity, you know? 
But then when a story is told really well, it does seem very seamless. You know what I mean? Like it might take some time for everyone to get there. But I think especially in the case of Chutney Popcorn, I feel like they earn it in the movie where by the end, it feels very natural. And I don't know, maybe it is part of this trend of reconciling what quote unquote we're supposed to be with what is real, but realizing that it's not so hard to reconcile. That organicness that you talk about comes from the fact that these filmmakers treat this not just as absurdism, but also as something that's really important to reconcile. It's something that, that matters to these families. It matters to these filmmakers that we want to show the human side of having to improvise what a family can be. And I think that's really, a, if, if, if that is indeed a, a potential theme of Asian American cinema, I think that's a really lovely one. Especially when we think about how like Asian cultures are so traditional and like it's all about everyone has to play their part in the way it's always been for centuries but I also see it as maybe with immigration sometimes you don't really get to choose how things turn out things get complicated I would think that's probably in some ways a very universal thing you know it's probably heightened because of cultural expectations and loyalties to your parents who have sacrificed so much for you and also this culture of judgment from from yeah. the community I feel like I related to the journey of Chutney Popcorn where something happened that just doesn't seem like it'll look good yes. <laughs> to the outside. Yeah. And then it everyone freaks out because this is not how it's supposed to go. This is not how anyone imagined it would go. But like, if like love is there, if family is there, community is there, after that initial shock or after that initial confusion, you realize it ends up being okay. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, not perfect, but it's fine. Like, you know, like in the movie, it's not perfect. Like everybody's relationship is rattled a little bit by this, understandably, but they figure it out and some things work and some things don't work. And I feel like the storytelling in this film was just really um, effective in that way. Oh, yeah, because it's yeah. so sensitive to that love that you're talking about. And yeah, how, yeah. Which is why we want to believe this is going to work out, even though it's kind of absurd. I relate to that when there's drama. We're always laughing about something, you know? <laughs> uh, not, not everybody laughs. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not everybody laughs, but I mean, especially if there's some absurdity involved, you know, which yeah. I think happens a lot in life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say though that aside from like the the lesbian friends, nobody in Chutney Popcorn seems to know that they're in a comedy, which is also like what makes great comedy sometimes. Yeah, you're in right. In this case, they don't feel like they're in a comedy. I mean, they're, they're like, what the hell uh, have we all gotten ourselves into? Yeah, but it, yeah. It, even though the characters are scared, we're never scared for them really. Yeah. Should, should we just laugh at the title of the film? What do you want to say about it? Well, I think that's part of when we think about comedy and, and selling comedy and selling ethnic comedy there are often these like you just combine all of the ingredients of different cultures into a title so like catfish and black bean sauce and then chutney popcorn which is not <laughs> but you have chutney and you have popcorn and people are like that seems like an exotic combination that sounds pretty tasty too i was trying to look for an interview that explained why she chose the title but couldn't find it it's also an era of a lot of food title like you drink man woman and like water for chocolates and why not chutney popcorn? Is that like chutney flavored popcorn? Or is it like popcorn that you dip in chutney? I'm guessing it's like a powdered chutney that they sprinkle. Oh. I bet in this new era of like fusion second generation chefs, chutney popcorn probably makes a lot of sense. I know. I wonder if anybody has actually made chutney popcorn. Somebody should make <laughs> chutney popcorn because we want to know what it tastes like. 
Well, I've definitely tried different types of Asian flavored popcorn. Oh, really? You can find the grocery store. I think it's called Hurricane Popcorn, and it's like Asian fusion popcorn from Hawaii, and it has sesame seeds and roasted seaweed and a bit of sugar. And let me look up Asian Popcorn Six Two Six Night Market. <laughs> There's this thing called Nitro Pop. Is this like creamistry? Started by Jason Shaw, who was sitting on his couch after a long 9-to-5 day watching the Food Network and noticed the heavy use of nitrogen in cooking. One step led to the next, and Nitro Pop was born in his Los Angeles apartment in 2013. Wait, 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 but let me see if it's actually like Asian-inspired popcorn or if it's just made by Asian-Americans. They have green tea mm, popcorn. I can see that. Ooh, flavors on deck for trial are coconut, almond, taro, and red bean. There's where the Asian-ness comes in. So yeah, Nitro Pop, you should make a chutney popcorn. That is the whole reason for our podcast, so we can influence <laughs> the culture like this. Don't forget that at actual Saturday schools, it's also a place where all of the parents like bring their homemade food and sell it to each other underground. Oh, yeah, a- like the, um... Yeah, yeah like zongzi. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So get on it, Nitro Pop. Chutney popcorn. And then have a link to the movie. Yes. That's our episode. Maybe I'll just put that as, like, the extra credit. <laughs> extra credit. Email Nitro Pop. <laughs> Confuse Nitro Pop by telling them about this podcast where they promoted you for no reason because they want you to make a chutney popcorn. Nitro <laughs> Pop, which we discovered while Googling in the <laughs> middle of our podcast recording and decided to turn our entire episode into. <laughs> we just want people to send us free stuff. Yeah. No, we don't. Well, you can. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that features stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our logo is by Grace Talis Lee. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. We have a Tiny Letter newsletter that you can sign up for to get lecture notes. tinyletter.com slash Saturday School Podcast. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G, and Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. Next week is the last class of our fall semester on Asian American comedy. But don't worry, we'll be back in the spring. Your assignment is to watch Shopping for Fangs from 1997, directed by Justin Lin and Quentin Lee, co-starring John Cho. Class dismissed.